Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Flixcast, the flix.co.nz podcast. This episode today is brought to you by Deathgasm, the homegrown heavy metal horror that describes itself like this. Brutal. Brutal as fuck. Pretty accurate. We've got a copy to give away on Blu-ray, so stick around, answer the question, and you can be in to win that. Speaking of winners, huge high five to Jonathan Watt who won the Flex Golden Tickets from last week's episode. Thanks to everyone that entered and cheers for your feedback on last week's podcast. So, what are we talking about this week then? It's going to be The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2, the conclusion of The Hunger Games franchise. You'll be hearing from myself, Steve Newell, I'm the editor of Flix. I'll be joined by assistant editor Liam McGurin and our writer Leonie Hayden. We've also got a special guest that popped in to have a quick chat about the film. Her film, really. You might know her. Her name is Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer, what was it like recording the podcast with us? I think it's amazing. I, I, I love being a part of a conversation. And um, it's just, it's been such an inc- incredible chapter in my life. Oh, cool. It's a, it's a pretty good setup we've got here, right? Amazing. Uh, what about my choice of t-shirt today? Amazing. Any thoughts on Kane Williamson going into this week's test? Amazing. Just one last thing before we go. How do you reckon a date with me might go? Amazing. Cool. Okay, we'll suss that off here. While we're taking care of that, here's some trailer audio for Mockingjay Part 2, just in case you're not familiar with it, and we'll be right back with a chat about the film. We can take down the capital. Now you're talking. Tonight, turn your weapons to the capital. This is the end. We got one shot. Let's make it count. Jumping into talk, the final Hunger Games film now. I'm joined by Liam McGurin. Hi. And I'm joined by Flix contributor and Mana Magazine editor, Leonie Hayden. Hi. Hunger Games, eh? We went to see that last night, so it's uh, fresh in the mind. First fresh in the mind thoughts. I'm exhausted. I'm actually quite exhausted, not because of the film itself, but because I've been trying to sort of recall um, part one at the same time of watching part two, and I've I've sort of just given up now. Okay. I'll see that exhaustion, and I will add stress. The film stressed me out. Uh, It came on the back of quite a busy work week, and I had exactly half an hour to decompress before I jumped into that cinema and all hell broke loose. My heart rate was just going a mile a minute the entire time. And in the best possible way, as far as a film-going experience goes. But um, I couldn't sleep afterwards. Too much adrenaline. So, you know, that's cool. I think for both of you guys, it kind of does suit the nature of the film to just um, have to, like, jump into it because that's exactly what happens with the film. It picks up, like, you know, moments after the end of Mockingjay Part 1. They really didn't uh, mess around. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that they'd say previously in Part 1, even though it'd be totally (laughs) terrible, just for my sake, I would have have liked it. It would have helped the gentleman two seats over from me who hadn't seen the preceding films and whose uh, partner was whispering uh, details to him. I don't think you'd actually need that many details because uh, you mentioned, Liam, that you're you're trying to recall elements of the previous films, and there's there's no doubt that, that what's set up previously gets paid off here, However, it goes on such a rollicking pace that 
it's just a bunch of women and men on a mission for the majority of the film. Mm. And that's a really, really simple concept to grasp, which I dug a lot. It was really cool. And I think the only sort of hiccup that it gave me was I was trying to wonder if the person who died horribly was someone that I was supposed to know or not. Not that really mad because some people, man, they get so bad. They get so bad that I still ended up feeling sorry for um, man in jumpsuit number two. <laughs> hey, man, that guy had a family. Oh, well. <laughs> I was don't that know. The, was that Presumably. <laughs> man in jumpsuit number two. Yeah. It's okay. We can, we'll, we, we can start a give a little campaign for him <laughs> and ra- ra- raise, raise some money for the family. Yeah. As Katniss rightly points out, Killian is always personal. It's the second film, actually, in successive podcasts where that's been a important theme espoused by central characters. Because, not to dip back to Spectre for too long, but that's a core message of Spectre as well, that uh, killing is a grubby business that should be carried out by professionals. And in the case of Spectre, I really liked the point that they made that a license to kill is also a license not to kill. That's something that kind of that Katniss really ends up encountering at pivotal parts of this film. Yeah. I mean, as a fan of uh, the books, I think one thing that the films capture really well, and it's probably um, uh, mostly due to Jennifer Lawrence's um, fantastic acting ability, is that you actually see the toll that every single death in every single book and every single Hunger Games and then and then all the different battles that happen and the battle between the capital and the rebels um, you know she takes every single death on board and you can see in Jennifer Lawrence's uh, performance that she really um, is a humanitarian and that she feels these deaths and like I don't think that's easy to portray and the books did it really well and the films have captured it really well Another thing I always thought Jennifer Lawrence was really good at is, is the dead behind the eyes catness. The I've seen too much at this point. I need to lock it in a box and I need to get down to business and I need to do some fighting. When we find Katniss now, I think she's kind of finally reached a place of being numb from experiencing so much. You know, in the first Hunger Games, she's just trying to save her sister, and then she's just trying to save Peta. Mm. And, you know, this much bigger responsibility starts presenting itself. Yeah. You saw a lot of that in this final film, in Mockingjay Part 2. Maybe more so than in Mockingjay Part 1, where she was still sort of dealing with uh, Peter's abduction and then Peter's torture um at this point in like the last film where she's just made up her mind about what her personal mission is and what she will and won't put up with anymore and so you get a lot of that just really really hard catness like she's sort of she's done being the victim and she has made up her mind that she will die for what she believes in and what she needs to do and i i just really like that post stress disorder sort of i mean like we were saying she still you know has humanity but I don't know, she just seems like kind of like a beast as well. She's gone into beast mode. That was cool. And I do like that beast mode, as you say, because she does some kick-ass stuff in this, um, especially in the tunnel scene, which I'm pretty sure we'll come back to. However, she also finds time to um, juggle the two men in her love life as well, at the same time while taking on board the hundreds upon hundreds of of deaths that are happening during this gigantic war. And I'm not so much irked by Katniss as I am by our, all three of them Gale because he's really just the third wheel and he's um he has his own cool action stuff he's actually relevant to the team 
But when they get him to actually say stuff, it's just like, oh, Peter, man, she doesn't kiss me like she kisses you. <laughs> Piss off, man. Just drop it, okay? Well, I got to work with Liam a lot more on this film, so that was really great. Yeah, exactly. Um, he normally misses out on all the action and stuff. <laughs> There's a war going on. But he's in love with her. He can get so many more. <laughs> When he makes his final exit from the film, it's so snappy and pacey that uh, while it comes on the heels of a serious plot point, it's still like you got rid of him so easily yeah. compared to the tenacity that's been shown by all annoying corners of this love triangle up until this point. It's just like... That's it. Yeah, you could tell that... It, but, I mean, it, that, it did quite literally take the death of pretty much everyone she knows for him to finally give up. <laughs> and there's a lesson in there, gentlemen. It's like, <laughs> possibly don't wait that long. Uh, otherwise, it's a, it gets a bit painful for everybody. Yeah, you annoy the girl, you annoy everyone around you. <laughs> so just just drop it. No one to drop it. The Dead Behind the Eyes Katniss doesn't have a huge character arc in this film. It is, it's kind of funny talking about it because really it is half a film. Mockingjay Part 1 did heaps of the heavy lifting and this is the culmination of everything that's been set up. But uh, apart, from a, uh, apart from maybe the last couple of minutes of the film, there's not a huge sort of development for her character. It's just a big-ass ride for us. Mm. And uh, you kind of stay on the same level of tension throughout as a consequence which was really fun as an audience member I think that's a lot of where the stress came from as well there's really no reprieve from that which like you say that's it's super exciting as a second half of an action film but it's um, it takes its toll <laughs> it's like the last quarter of a film stretch out over two hours and also in comparison to the other two Hunger Games where you kind of can separate the good guys and the bad guys during the Hunger Games you're just with the good guys um, throughout this sort of ad hoc Hunger Games and when the game picked off you feel every single death it's a good point actually even though there's sort of a bit of a red shirt component to some of the the, the, the guys that get killed off that don't really get dialogue some <laughs> of them um, it's still your team the whole way as you, as you say Liam you mentioned the tunnels before and that of of all of the anxiety-inducing parts of the film, that's a real, real biggie. A lot of the, um, a lot of what we saw in the first couple of Hunger Games films, like a lot of YA sort of fiction, had some familiar elements, like the sort of cribbed bits from other, uh, other bits of literature or films that have gone beforehand. And I think when we get to the tunnels in Mockingjay Part Two, we're into the territory of let's emulate James Cameron's Aliens and scare the living fucking shit out of you. Well, uh, Francis Lawrence, he did um, I Am Legend, right? So I think he would just put that hat back on and did the start of that movie and did everything that was good about that film into what may have been like 20 minutes to a half an hour scene of just pure tension. Francis is the perfect director for these films because he's so imaginative. He's just incredibly creative. He can create his own world. I mean, I Am Legend was an unbelievable movie and he just has such a specific vision yeah, that I really don't believe anyone else could ever duplicate. And um, and he's yeah. just amazing to work for because he's he shows up early, he has his shot lists, yeah. he's organized, he's calm, he's in, in every every part that there that goes into being a director he's just a, an a plus in every single area sounds like he's got all the skills of a great director and what does a great director do to you i'm gonna admit i got sweaty <laughs> i got really sweaty 
because you don't you don't see a lot. You, a lot of it is just sort of alluded to, but that's where the tension gets you. And yeah, I had a gross shirt. One by one, each character underground had to put down their weapon and crawl through a tiny hole in the dark, surrounded by water, knowing that there were creatures on their way, that there were mutts on their way to get them. And so one by one, you expected, you had that that tense few seconds where you're just absolutely convinced that, that, that that's the character that's about to go, and then they manage to get through, and then the next one goes through, and the next one goes through. And then you get to the very last character, and like you're like, oh, of course, she's going to be the one that goes. And then for like so many seconds, they just hold it. And it's like so exquisite, and you're like, you genuinely think you that they all got there. And then all hell breaks loose, and you're like, okay, fine. Of course, that was going to happen, but... Those few seconds where you where you think that you've been played, such a good feeling. Amazing. Another actor whose whose presence is really strongly felt in this film is Donald Sutherland. He's been uh, one of the assets of the whole series so far. It's so great to watch his story come to an end in such satisfying fa- uh, fashion. Yeah, you used the perfect word earlier to describe his performance, and that is magnificent. He is a magnificent bastard. Yeah, it's satisfying in one sense is that in terms of how the story ends his arc, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. On the other hand, it denies me the opportunity to see him like crumble into a little ball and cry like I've been wanting to see from him mm. throughout the entire series. I was completely denied that. Yeah, I like actually that, that that one thread sort of leaves you dissatisfied, even though he ended up meeting his fate at the hands of the people, which I did think was quite poetic. You know, oh, so good. But uh, yeah, no, you're right because that's all you want. That's all Katniss wants is to see him in that moment, in the moment before the light in his eyes like dies out. You want him to know what he's done, and that moment never comes. And I think that's really great. That no matter what the scale of events that unfolds in this film are, or this whole series, everything was kind of just a game to him. And that's not to minimise his actions. Mm. The whole thing was pointless uh, and everyone was a pawn. Um, there's a scene early on where he kills one of his one of his generals that he doesn't like and he just sets that up utterly theatrically for no purpose but to fuck with the guy. Yeah, and, and everyone fu- else and ev- in and, the room. And everyone else. But that, like, he treats whole districts of people the same way he treats that one person at the table. So there's a horrible consistency of nothing actually matters to everything that he does. Yeah. And it carries out to when he's eventually defeated. It's not like he's on his knees crying about it. It's more like he has this weird admiration for his opponent's tactics. And it makes total sense. And it's so good that they went there. But man, I just wanted to see someone slap his face just <laughs> once. And a lot of our coverage of... Uh, of politics in the West and what happens in Parliament, a lot of it's reported as in the tactics of the cut and thrust of what's going on. That's very close to what Snow and the, the and the uh, the revolutionaries in this film are doing. There's not a lot of moral consideration. It's just kind of like we do X and then Y happens. What if we do Z? As as we follow someone with an actual soul through this movie, I think we kind of see how uh, how vapid that. Uh, that way of thinking about things is on both sides as well. Um, Absolutely President on both sides. Coyne? Yeah. Yes. President Coin uh, is actually just the other side of exactly the same coin as <laughs> uh, President Snow. As the war starts to escalate, Candace's relationship with Coin starts to become um, a little bit more complicated and strained. Katniss is starting yeah. to fear that she's seeing a lot of similar traits in Coin that she did in President Snow. 
I mean, that in itself is, you know, I think that's sort of ever so slightly analogous to what's going on today when you look at, like, the various international factions that support... Um, the supposed enemy it's like you just never know who's on whose side who's actually playing the game right who's playing the game to the rules who's cheating they're all the same from that uh, note of hopelessness we're just going to segue very quickly to playing the game by certain rules and jump into uh, the user comment of the week from flicks.co.nz Bear in mind that this uh, person is from a secondary school. <laughs> and so they're probably not deserving of some of the expletives that are leveled at them in the comments thread underneath this. I bet it's insightful. It is insightful. On Flix, the film is reviewed three stars. I think we can all have our different sort of uh, opinions about whether that's right or not. The commenter says, please, this movie deserves more than that. I'd go five. This is probably the best one yet. Action-packed, emotional, and intense. If you're gonna review a movie, make sure it's not a shitty one. Can't wait to see this movie next week. They haven't seen the film. <laughs> and when they say shitty one, they say make sure the reviewer's not a shitty one. I think that's I think that's what they what they do mean. Sorry, it's, sorry, Matt Glasby, you're a shitty one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not fair if it's a if it's something like a young if it's a young thing they don't know what they're doing the rules though i just like to just just going back to the idea of knowing what the rules are i think criticize a review of a movie or criticize a movie but watch the movie first <laughs> don't be like uh someone criticizing quentin tarantino for the n-word who refuses to see his movie because it has the n-word yeah in it. absolutely on each episode of the flicks cast we're going to be pitching each other stuff to watch at home it's my turn this week check out the audio that i played to liam and leone I had zero control over my body. Like, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't move my arms, my legs. I would try and fight it. It was just so strong. And then you wake up and you're totally paralyzed. You can't move. I began hearing voices and screams and crying. I would hear all the sounds of hell. And that is when the shadow man would come and he would walk disjointed. It's a kind of horror that is worse than like in the movies. Doesn't that sound cheerful? <laughs> I'm smiling. If you were to hazard a guess at the title of that movie, uh, and you bet the house on it being called The Nightmare, you'd be 100% freaking correct. <laughs> it's called The Nightmare. It's from director Rodney Asher. He made a uh, documentary called Room 237 a couple of years ago, which explores like wacky conspiracy theories about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I uh, played at f the film festival, and um, it's really a festival film. It's sort of made up of lots of borderline illegal content to start with, I guess. <laughs> and The Nightmare is 
sort of an extension that's a bit more based in the real world. It's based on real people's experiences of sleep paralysis, where they wake unable to move, fully conscious, and trapped inside their bodies. Something that's really, really common, according to the film, it affects millions of people. What the nightmare does is it goes a step further and goes into some of the... Not exactly common, but frequently shared experiences of a subset of people with sleep paralysis, and it's pretty scary. Is one million a subset? Because that just seems like a set. Oh well, like a, I mean, like a subset of those millions all oh. have a much more terrifying <laughs> experience than merely being trapped in their own bodies and being unable to wake up. They are visited by a guy called the Shadow Man, <laughs> and I don't know if that's really necessarily like an official name or just a very easy descriptor of the same thing that everybody's experiencing but he comes into their rooms while they're trapped lying on their bed very aware of it and unable unable to move and he will slowly approach their bed he'll possibly say like really unpleasant malevolent things to them he may have some shadow mates with him (laughs) and they may do things like slowly crawl onto the person's prone chest and putting their entire weight on their body, leaning into their face and communicating horrible messages while the person lies there unable to move. There's no way I'm watching this documentary. You couldn't pay me to watch this documentary. Which isn't to say I don't think it sounds good, because that actually sounds like a very good documentary. But I would definitely have sleep paralysis before the film was even done, and I would have nightmares for the rest of my life. Oh yeah, something important to point out is that it appears that sleep paralysis may be contagious and to the point where uh, there's a couple, a couple of people in the film didn't have it, their partners had it, their partners told them about it, then they started experiencing the same thing as well. So it's quite possible, Leonie, it's quite possible, Liam, that the two of you may start experiencing visits from the Shadow Man from this point onwards. <laughs> and by extension, you, dear listener, with those earbuds in right now, imagine how much information about the Shadow Man is now part of your brain. I don't want to be you going to sleep tonight. <laughs> Can the paralysed people talk? Like, do their partners know that they are lying there with uh, someone on top of them breathing awful things in their face? Like halitosis. Yeah. Uh, it's really. It sounds really similar to the experience where people are on the operating table experiencing that, uh, that same sort of thing. Oh. Yeah, so that whereas, whereas um, you know, in hospitals it's drug-induced. This is a purely physiological or psychological syndrome. It's a hypnosis state. It sounds like a hypnosis state. Like when when a hypnotist or hypnotherapist can put you in a state where they can then like instruct you to do things without you really being aware of it. Could there be some sort of serial hypnosis guy just like making people think that some creepy dude is going to be sitting (laughs) on their chest? Every night, and he's like affected a subset of one million people. Surprise, it's Paul McGinnis. <laughs> it's a great theory, but another thing that makes us terrifying is it seems to have been going on for basically as long as mankind has been around. Oh. Rodney Asher finds uh, references to this right through history. Artworks that show evil cats on sleeping people's chests. Uh, look, it may be the case that our brains explain it by concocting a presence. But let's not beat around the bush. That just watch this really scary movie and like get stuck into the shadow men and trip out on how weird this whole thing is. Yeah. Who cares about what really causes it? You mentioned they had mates. What 
what do these mates do exactly? Do they like just sit and watch him sit on people? Or? There's, there's, so there's, there's one main guy that seems to uh, have the most malice, and he, he sort of controls a few other shadow people. Um, often he'll stand in the doorway, sort of directing their activities. So he'll be, he'll be the one that the, the person with sleep paralysis will perceive him being in charge of of, of sending these other beings towards them and, and, and onto them and tormenting them. Oh, so like a worker, basically. Yeah, oh, he's got staff. Oh. Yeah, yeah. They're the help. It's uh, the shadow man and the shadow help. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope he pays a living wage. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think the feature film The Help isn't based on this, by the way. <laughs> anyway, The Nightmare, uh, I watched it on Netflix New Zealand. Um, I watched it incidentally after just sort of really trying to make myself as receptive to its horrible properties as possible i got into bed i turned all the lights off and i watched it on my laptop and in hindsight that was really stupid (laughs) but i got away with it no shadow man for me this time yeah a movie about some creep going to people's houses in the middle of the night with a bunch of employees perfect for the holiday season obviously that wisecrack means liam ain't getting any christmas presents um but you could still score yourself a copy of Deathgasm on Blu-ray. Here is the trailer. Um, I took the liberty of including a few fan reactions from YouTube as people around the world watch the trailer for the first time themselves. You know that evil heavy metal that your parents hate you listening to? You know those lyrics about hell, demons and doom? What if I told you it's all real? I know, I was there. Metal, horror, demons. Is it gonna be tits? Jesus! It's piss. That's me, Brody. My friends are losers. Who wants me back in my horse career? Let's hope it's not trash kind of horror movies. Those with a lot of nonsense, death and stuff like that. Wouldn't it be crazy if the music had something to do with demons? Demons. Fuck yeah. We're all gonna die. I translated those pages. People are turning crazy, like possessed, crazy. Oh! Oh! What's up? That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, just, just kill someone. Just. This is pretty good, and I'm on this. You know, I'm not even sure I'm in the right tuning. Brother, still. Yeah, man. Hey, that's a cool handshake. Let's do it. How is it? It's too fast. The thing is, is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, do the, do the, yeah. No, straight away. Oh. No, no, no. Well, it's like this, and then, oh, okay. While those guys are practicing their handshake, let's give away that copy of Deathgasm on Blu-ray. Tell me the name of the band that I'm about to play, 
and let me know the weapon that is memorably wielded during the sequence the song plays in. Email your answer to podcast at flicks.co.nz. You could win a copy of Deathgasm on Blu-ray and tell you what, you're going to bloody enjoy it. Thanks for joining us this week. Next week we'll be talking Creed and the program with esteemed guest Daniel Rutledge. Maybe Sylvester Stallone. He might pop in. Maybe Lance Armstrong. Definitely Daniel. Definitely me. Definitely Liam. Catch you next time.